Welcome to a brand new episode of Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. Today's episode is brought to you by BestFightPicks.com. Go to BestFightPicks.com, type your email in that top right corner, and get the best fight picks and podcast delivered to your inbox every single fight week. Joining me on this very special edition of Half the Battle is UFC Top 10 Lightweight. I'm talking about Benil Dariush. Benny, welcome to Half the Battle, man. Hey, it's good to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so it's not often that I get to talk to people born in Iran. So, you know, when did you move from Iran? How long did you live there? I was in Iran till I was nine. I, I lived on a farm, and then uh, from there we, we came to America. I, I came to California, and I've been in Southern California my whole uh, my, my life since, my whole life pretty much. Yeah, and you're actually an Assyrian Christian. Did you have to deal like with any discrimination growing up or what? You know, I was really young in Iran. Uh, I think when you're that young, you, you don't notice it. And to be honest, uh, even my family, we didn't really get uh, that kind of discrimination. Well, uh, we were in a small village, and, and the village, everybody was really close, and there was a lot of love. So we didn't have that issue. That's good, man. I'm actually really happy to hear that. And, you know, off air, you and I were briefly talking about Persian food. And I got to know, man, you know, right now, you ha- you haven't had a fight since... Uh, since Nashville, have you been eating some uh, shish kebabs or what? I've been I've been eating a lot, a lot of everything, but especially Persian food. I've I've had a lot of kubide and uh, and bag and uh, just rice in general. I like rice. Oh, so you like rice on the side, not Shirazi salad? No, 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 no. Shirazi salad is good, but rice is where it's at. I'm uh, I'm a good 190 right now, maybe. <laughs> so you actually grew up in a family of doctors and lawyers, and you know. When you first started out, you know, were they kind of like, what are you doing, Benny? You know, yeah, it was like that for a long time. The younger, the my younger family, they, they, they were very supportive and they would, some of them came to my matches, but the older generation, they, they had a very difficult time with it. They're like, what is it? They didn't even understand the sport and until, you know, I started supporting my house with fighting. They weren't really able to. They didn't even give it a chance, basically. So once I started, uh, once I was able to start supporting the house and just provide for my family, they they started looking at it and and uh, understanding it a little bit better. Yeah, now they must be huge fans, right? Uh, at this point, to be man, to be honest, it's a little bit overwhelming because they know more about what's going on than I knew. They uh, they know the gossip. They know like. Oh, why did this guy say this? Why did that guy say that? So they're always asking me questions. I'm like, I don't know. I, I just I just go there and fight, you know? They're like, well, you know, Connor said this. What about Ronda Rousey that? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why they said those things, you know? <laughs> so it, it, those things can be kind of annoying, but I, I love the fact that they're so into it. Yeah, man, and you definitely have that support because, you know, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, so I drove to Nashville. I saw your last fight, and I actually sat next to, I don't know if they're your fans or your family members, but they were holding up that flag. They were cheering you on, and it was awesome, man. Uh, they, it could have been both, because I had family there, and we had some Syrian fans there, so it, it could have been both. Uh, I'm not sure where you were sitting, but I, you know, my first fight in the UFC was in Georgia, Atlanta. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was, I was in attendance, and we're going to talk all about that in just a second, but one thing I want to, you know, briefly chat about is after your fight with Michael Johnson, I mean, you know, when someone beats the number five guy in the world, you know, you'd probably imagine, oh, they're out partying. The very next day, you went to Haiti, and you spent some time with the kids there. Can, can you just talk about that experience for me, Benny? Uh, that 
that kind of worked out perfectly, to be honest, timing-wise. Uh, I, I I wanted to go to Haiti last year actually, and uh, it didn't it, it didn't work out because I had a fight in October against uh, Carlos Diego. Uh, so this year I, I I thought same thing, man. It's not gonna work out. And then I found out my fight against Michael Johnson was a day before we leave. So I just thought to myself, you know, unless I break my leg or arm or something, I should be able to go. So I, I ended up just buying the ticket and saying, I'm just going to go out there uh, either way. So, and it's something I, I always want to do, you know, my church, every year they go and then they speak uh, speak to me about it. So that was pretty much it. It, w- it was just one of those things I really wanted to do. And, and the fact that I fell the day after my fight, just it just worked out even better. The timing could not have been any better. Well, you know, I got to commend you for it. And can you just talk about your motivation for wanting to do that kind of thing? Obviously, you mentioned your church, but I mean, this has got to be beyond that. This has got to be an internal thing. Just talk about that real quick. I think uh, uh, the root of Christianity is selflessness, helping others. And I think that's where it comes from. Whenever I help somebody... The, the joy you get from helping somebody else is is more than enough to satisfy me. So I think maybe that's what it is. I really like seeing people smile. I like seeing uh, somebody happy. And and you're doing so little over there. You know, you're just giving these these people. Sometimes it's just a hug and some food, and that's what we expect here. It's normal here to get food and and hugs and 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 love. And you do that to them, and the the, the reaction is is. You can't explain it. It, it. It's so overwhelming. So I think maybe that's what it is, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you mentioned, like, things that we take for granted. To them, it's such a big deal. And, you know, I wasn't able to be there, obviously, but I did see some pictures. And just to see the smile on those kids' faces, man, it really, uh, it was really touching, man. So, I mean, you know, were they really sad when you when you had to leave or what? Yeah, well, we didn't actually tell them that we were leaving at that point because what happened the, our last day we we uh, we bought a bunch of food for the church where it, it would probably last them a few months and then uh, and uh, we were late so we just kind of took off we didn't get a chance to say like a formal goodbye so maybe they were sad maybe not I, I just know we left something good there so I, I'm sure they'll be more uh, they they'll be more focused on that than us for sure and I'm sure. They're really looking forward to you returning. So now we got to talk about your career a little bit because we could sit here for an hour and talk about that because it's such a cool thing what you did. But, you know, obviously before you became, you know, you are a top 10 guy. In my opinion, you're a top 5 guy because you just beat the number 5 guy in the world. It is what it is. But prior to that, you were actually a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu World Champion. So how old were you when you won the Jiu-Jitsu Championships? So I started Jiu-Jitsu when I was uh, 18. And I, I had I have world titles at every belt except for black belt. I never competed as a black belt. Uh, before I before I could get a chance to compete in black belt, I transitioned to full time MMA. But I, I guess my first world title was when I was nineteen. I it was I think it was a white belt beginners, and then the same year I I won the blue belt worlds in the nogi division, and 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 I, I think it was a year after that purple, and the year after that was brown. So I, I can't remember the exact years, to be honest with you, but that that was kind of the transition. But Benny, when you won in the brown and the purple, was it gi or no gi? Uh, so I won gi, and then, I'm sorry, I won no gi. I won uh, purple belt, I won the absolute, uh, and then in the brown belt, I won my weight class, and I, I placed second, uh, second in the absolute, 
And in the gi, I, 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 was, I, I got silver in both the purple uh, and uh, brown. For sure. And for all the listeners listening right now, when he says absolute, he's referring to the fact that there was no weight class. So pretty much, you could go up there against a guy that's 230 pounds, right? Yeah. Uh, I forgot his name, but uh, in the purple belt division, in the finals, I fought a guy from the UFC, actually. He was on the, he was on the Ultimate Fighter with Uriah Hall. I think his name was James something. I can't remember his name exactly, but he, he's a good wrestler and... Uh, we, we ended up fighting in the final, and I got him with a triangle. But uh, before that, he beat Dan Hornbuckle. So it was the, the purple belt division absolutely was stacked with just a bunch of cool guys, you know, a bunch of cool MMA guys that I never knew of until, you know, I got more familiar with MMA. For sure. And what was it like transitioning from gi jiu-jitsu to MMA? Because obviously it's very different. You can't grip the collars. You can't grip the wrist. You know that firsthand. So talk to us about that. I... It wasn't super difficult for me just because I would train Nogi once a week and uh, I would compete in Nogi. Whenever there was a tournament where it was a Gi one day and Nogi the next day, I would I would try to do both because I felt the experience was important for me. So the transition wasn't super difficult. Uh, I think the real difficulty was um, MMA. You know, you have you have this one big match that you spent two months going uh focusing on and, and the weight cutting and the pressure it, it, the pressure for just that one match well jiu-jitsu i i was competing almost every week and uh, i would have five six fights a day so it, the pressure is still there but you're you're almost splitting the pressure into little groups so it was easier to handle the pressure i, I the mma just making that walk out there it, it's a it's a war in itself. So if your mind's not strong, you're gonna you're gonna falter before you even get inside the octagon. Yeah, and speaking of which, you always look very poised and relaxed when you fight. And you know, with a lot of guys that I have on the show, you know, they tell me about how they had a lot of street fights before they became fighters. But you don't strike me as the kind of guy that got into a lot of fights growing up. I mean, just talk to me. Where did this fighting spirit come from, Benil? I got in a couple of fights when I was younger. I wouldn't say too many fights. I got in a couple of fights. I was a little bit of a, I was I was I was a little guy, you know. I I never I didn't like the idea of someone you know being stronger than me just because they were bigger. That so I think that there was always a little bit of that as far as fighting. But I think uh, I think the reason why I'm I'm so calm. I, I think the this platform where I am in, in the UFC and and just the. And MMA in general is—I think it's a platform that that's given to me by God, and I, and that's why I feel so calm. I'm supposed to be here. That's actually really awesome to hear. You know, with a lot of guys that are very religious, you know, it might be annoying, it might be shoved down your throat, but with you, it's just who you are. You know, you're very cool about it. So I really respect that, Benny. I mean, you don't really feel a need to you know to force it down people. Can you just talk about that real quick? You know, with my faith, it's something I don't. I'm not very good with words, so it, it, it's something I, I would like to show as an example. I, I, I just I want to be a good example for for uh, if anyone is looking into the Christian faith, uh, I, I want to be an example for it. I, I don't want to sit there and 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 speak about it. I, I just want to be an example and and be a man of action. Well, man of action you are, and so we talked about how you know you made your transition from being a jiu-jitsu champion to fighting MMA. Now, we all know you train with the legendary master Rafael Cordero. Now, did you start your career with him, or did you have a couple fights before you met up with him? 
I had one MMA fight, uh, professional fight, and that one fight was uh, was ridiculous. I, I don't know why I even had that. One day, my jiu-jitsu coach called me, uh, my former jiu-jitsu coach called me, and he says, do you want to fight an MMA fight? And the only reason why I said yes was because I didn't want him to think I was scared. So I was <laughs> like, yeah, 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 I'll take the fight. So I, I, I took the fight basically because I didn't want people to think I was a chicken. I had no, I didn't have enough striking experience. I had very little striking experience. My wrestling was not good, <laughs> so I, I, I just showed up there with just jujitsu, and, and I did up winning a split decision. It, it was a, it was a tough fight because in the last round I was gassed out and I was just getting hit in the head basically. Well, thank God you won, and man, I mean, so your coach was literally like, "You want to fight?" and you're like. Uh, yeah no yeah <laughs> like, yeah that's that's exactly what was going on in my head it was like no okay i'm not scared but no <laughs> it was it was it was uh it was a mix of emotions let's just put it that way so you get the victory and then you start training with master hoffa yes yeah, so uh, about a about a month later after my fight i uh i, I walked into uh babalu's gym the, and uh, it was uh, it was a sparring session, and uh, I, I, I said, you know, I, I, my fight was done. I'll jump in, I'll spar, but I'm not. I don't really care. I'm just gonna go back to doing my gi training and my no gi training. I want to focus on the on the worlds, and and everybody was a heavyweight. Everybody that was there was a heavyweight, from like Babalu to Fabricio Verdum to I think Jason Mayhem Miller was still with us. My old coach, he was a heavyweight, Bruno Paulista. And, um, and, uh, and then all of a sudden I see this little guy, Master Raphael. He's the only other guy my size. I didn't know who he was at that time. So I, I thought, I just assumed I would be, I would spar with him. But <laughs> first person he spars with is, uh, Fabricio. And, uh, maybe a minute or two into the sparring, I see Fabricio go down. And I, I don't, I don't comprehend what's going on just because, you know, a big guy like that going down. I just assumed something went wrong. Maybe he got kicked in the kicked in the nuts or something. So I, I don't pay attention to it too much. I see him get up. They get back to sparring. Maybe a minute later, I see him go down again, and then it, it kind of clicks. And then the same thing goes uh, goes through with uh, him sparring with Babalu. So Master Rafael sparred with Babalu. Babalu goes down. Same thing with Mayhem. And then finally, it's my turn. Ah uh, man, I I got I got destroyed for. He he must have dropped me three to five times in, in that five minute period, and and then afterwards, you know, the whole time he's always smiling. He's afterwards he shakes my hands, and then I realized this whole time he doesn't have a mouthpiece in. It was it was it was a very interesting experience. After after that experience, I just I realized this was the guy I want to learn striking from. Wow, that's intense, man. Because you know. I've only seen videos of him sparring. You experienced it firsthand, and I mean, still to this day, he's still taking down the big guys, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we, one of our recent we like to when uh, when I have a fight, we like to spar uh, before the fight, like the week of the fight. I I think last time was in Brazil. This happened, and uh, he was uh, he was mimicking Carlos Diego, and. Uh, I had just a little bit of success, 
and he was orthodox. I had just a little bit of success. It wasn't like I, I hit him anything crazy, but like he switched his stand. He's a nat- he's a natural southpaw, so he went from ortho- orthodox to southpaw, and he hit me so hard, and I was seeing stars. And this is a week before my fight, and I'm just like, all right, give me a second. I'm seeing stars. And and then we were back to training again. But, you know, he still got it. It doesn't take long for him to hit that switch. Yeah, and word on the street is that you guys spar extremely hard at Kings. Is that is that still true? I wouldn't say extremely hard, but we mimic the fight. You know, it doesn't make sense to spar in the gym in a way where it, it doesn't resemble the fight. You want to spar the same way you're going to fight, correct? So that's kind of what we do. Are you guys worried at all about, you know, I don't know, taking too many shots or, I don't know, maybe concussions, stuff like that? Here, Here's the thing. We never do more than five, six rounds. We don't go over the limit. We have a certain amount of time. Master Alpha always knows, you know, when he starts seeing people getting tired and more likely to get hurt, he stops the training. I mean, if you notice, our, our camp doesn't have a lot of injuries. I, don't, I, I, I had seven fights in a year and a half. I didn't have to pull out any of those fights. I took on short-notice fights. Fabricio Verdum, he's, I, don't, I don't remember him ever pulling out a fight. Rafael Dos Anjos, same thing. So I don't know if our training is, is you know, the best, but I know we have this, we, we have, you know, we have this recipe that works, and we're, we're winning, and, 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 I, I, and we just... It's a successful recipe. We can't mess with it. Well, you answered my question because the fact that, you know, Coach Hoffa, he really monitors what's going on and he knows when to say when, that's a big deal. So I'm really glad to hear that, Benny. Now, in your fourth MMA fight, you actually fought in Brazil. Now, did you did they accept you or what? Because, you know, Master Hoffa was in your corner, but you aren't Brazilian. So what was that like? Uh, you know, that that was actually my second fight in Brazil. The first fight, I was outside the UFC, and uh, that was terrible. The first fight, I was walking out, and they were chanting, Ooh, vai morrer, ooh, vai morrer, which means you're going to die. I didn't realize that because my Portuguese wasn't that good, but after the after the fight, Master told me, and I was, I was a little scared. So the second time I was out there, there were... To be honest, I got a lot more love than any other American on the card. I first of all that I didn't get the chant. Every other fighter got the chant of Uvai Moher. They didn't give me that chant, and uh, it's just the Brazilian crowd gave me a lot of love, which I was very happy about. And uh, after the fight, I got to spend some time in Brazil, and man, that place is amazing. I, I, Rio is really cool. I, I went to, I went and trained at Gordo's gym. and uh, we went out and just saw some uh, some sights and and saw the beach. It was so cool. Yeah, I definitely want to go to Brazil, you know, one day. And that's awesome that they made an exception for you. They didn't say, when you walked out. So that must have felt pretty good, right? It was a good feeling because it, the crowd was so loud. I remember I was being, I was in my locker room getting warmed up and I could hear them chanting and stomping the ground where I was shaking our, our locker room. So it was pretty intense. I was, I would say I was, scared that is, is just just listening to their chants and just hearing the like the vibration in the room I, I was scared so it, it was nice <laughs> <laughs> so you know you end up going I think it was 10 and 0 before you made your UFC debut correct I was 6 and 0 
only six and zero. So they they have your record wrong on Wiki, my man. <laughs> oh, Wiki probably does have it wrong. Sure, dog has it right. I, I had six fights before I came into the FC. I won my seventh, which was against Charlie Brenneman, right. and then I lost against Nijum. And then I've been on. Uh, I've had a five win, uh, five fight win streak since then. Oh yeah, we're gonna go over all that stuff. So you make your UFC debut in my hometown. Atlanta, Georgia, and you know, it's funny, I heard this podcast called the MMA Roasted Podcast, and a guy named Jake Ellenberger, he's a UFC welterweight, he said, look out for this kid, Benny, he's going to be a future champion, so I was like, alright, well this guy's the first guy on the card, you know, I know who Charlie Brenneman is, I don't know who Benil Dariush is, but I'm going to go there early to see who this guy is, and then you walk out to Michael Jackson, rock with you. So before we talk about the fight, just tell me about your really good taste in music because, I mean, that's a badass <laughs> song, dude. It's a song I really liked in high school. My friends and I, we would always listen to it. It was one of those things like whenever we listened to it in the car, everybody would get you know get hyped on it. So I, I think it was just that. We, we had a good time. Actually, yeah, also we went to Europe. I, I went to Europe with a couple of friends on a, on a trip. And that was that was one of the main songs of the trip. So I think that's kind of why it stuck with me. It always got me in a, uh, it put me in a good place, and, and we stuck with that. Well, if you like good songs like that, I have to imagine that you like other good music. So just tell me, what kind of music does Benil Dariush listen to? You know, I, I, it's a big range for me. I, I listen to country music. You can go from George Strait to uh, the more mo- uh, mo- uh, mo- mo- modern stuff to like... Uh, Billy Currington, and then uh, I like uh, old old school like Dean uh, Dean Martin and uh, Frank Sinatra. I I used to love Linkin Park. I don't listen to them so much now, but I used to love those guys. So as far as music goes, it, it changes all the time. Oh, Johnny Cash is a big one. So it just changes. It, I, I I I don't want to say changes, but I'm always uh, uh, finding new new things that I uh, fall in love with. You keep an open mind. So. Yeah. So, okay, so you're walking out to Michael Jackson, and then uh, you're fighting Charlie Brenneman. This is a guy that's been in there with everyone. He's been in there with Anthony Rumble Johnson, with Eric Silva. He's been in there with everyone, Johnny Hendricks. And, you know, you go in there, and, you know, you start to feel your range a little bit, throw a couple nice flying knees, and then you crack him with that straight left, and he goes down. Tell me what was going through your head before you took his back. I remember him, uh, the, I remember him, you know, he was looking to put pressure on me, looking to take me down. So, what I was trying to do is keep uh, keep good distance. I, I threw this teep kick that that made that distance that I wanted, and I knew he was going to close the distance again. And that's when I cracked him with the left hand. When he went down, I was a little surprised because I didn't actually feel the punch hit him. It felt like I went I went through air. I hit air. So when I, if you watch watch it in a slow motion, I, I throw the punch and then I pull my head back because I thought I missed. Anyways, as soon as he hits the ground, I, um, I looked to follow him to finish the fight. I thought I could finish it with ground and pound, but he shot in on my leg. When he grabbed my leg, I, I knew he was still a little bit rocked, and he grabbed at my knee instead of at my thigh, and I, I knew I could take the back because on a high crotch, which is like a single leg but with the leg out, head outside, if you grab low on the knee – uh, with with my style, uh, I can take your back. So I was able to take his back and uh, lock his arm in and, and take that choke. And I just I just remember thinking to myself, this can't be happening right now. It can't be. It can't. This can't be happening. It, it, it's it's all going too well. And but it did, and it, it was amazing. Yeah, and it was a beautiful transition. And then you know, after you got the big win, 
And after you get any big win, you actually never really go crazy. You know, a lot of guys, they run up on the fence and they scream. You actually get down on your knees and do you say a prayer or, or what's the deal after you win? Yeah, it's a prayer. I just say, I just thank God for for just having this life. I have a good platform. I have uh, everything in my life is good. You know, uh, you know, uh, some people like to pray when they're, when they're at their, you know, lowest points or I think you should pray at all points, whether it's it's the best moment in your life or your worst moments in your life. You know, that was probably one of the best moments in my life. So I figured it's a good time to pray. And I always do that after fights. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, just to have the control over yourself, not to go crazy in that moment. What's that like, man? Yeah, you know how everybody gets crazy. And uh, to me, I have this idea is like, I want to save that craziness for the next fight. You know, I, I, I'm not ready to let go of that craziness. I want to save that craziness and keep it and uh, and have it for the next fight. I'm, I'm scared I'm going to let go too much and I'm going to lose it. I, it doesn't make sense, but that's that's kind of how it's my in my head. So I always try to keep it under control. But yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And that was a hell of a way to make a UFC debut. And then in your sophomore appearance, you go to Abu Dhabi and you fight Ramsey. Now, with a lot of great fighters, you know, oftentimes they lose to guys that they wouldn't, that they that they beat later on in their career, but they need that experience to get to where they are now. So would you say that if it wasn't for that fight, you wouldn't be where you are right now, Benil? I think so. I, I think the loss was a blessing in disguise. I think I was getting, uh, I think I was getting a little ahead of myself and, and uh, to be honest, man, he, he deserved the win. He was able to he was able to pull it off. He was the better man that night. There's nothing else to say. There's no excuse for me to make. He was the better fighter that night. Uh, I believe if we fought again, it would be differently. But he did his job, and I didn't do mine. Yeah, we all got to give him the credit he deserves. And, uh, and we both agree that it would be different if it happened again. But we can also agree that after that fight, you made some serious adjustments, obviously mentally, but... Fight-wise, you know, uh, the way you'd conduct yourself in the clinch, the way you'd set up your knees, what, can you say that that changed a little bit after the Nijim fight? Uh, yeah, one of the things I really focused on was footwork. And it didn't show uh, in my next fight against Tony Martin. I, I, I still wasn't able to implement it, but it, one of the things I started focusing on more is, is my footwork. Well, uh, I would do things that uh, that are okay, they're good, but without the proper footwork, so I was putting in myself in more danger because the footwork wasn't there. So I'm, I'm looking for big, re, big reward, with, but with big risks. Now with the better footwork, I, I have the same reward, but with less risk. I just have to be smarter and, and uh, better at implementing it. For sure, man. And we'll talk about the Tony Martin fight in a sec. But I want to know, you know, obviously the Nijim fight was in Abu Dhabi. You're a Syrian Christian, you know, he's Palestinian. Behind the scenes, was there any, you know, was there any kind of rivalry? Was it weird at all? No, to be honest, uh, it was strange. Uh, before the weigh-ins, we're, we're lined up and we're going to go up there. His coach came up and show, uh, shook Master Alfredo's hand. He shook my hand and he came and did the same. So, and then at the weigh-ins, he got in my face. I didn't, I didn't understand that, but I think it was more for show. So, I don't really have a problem with uh, with Ramsey, but... Uh, so I, I guess no, the, the answer would be no short answer. Okay. And then you fight Tony Martin. And in my opinion, this was about getting your confidence back and, you know, getting back on the on the win column. And, man, 
That was a very nice arm triangle. But in the first round, obviously, the sequence they always play is where you do that nice flying knee. But you actually had to overcome. I don't want to say it was too much adversity, but he, he's always a tough cookie to crack in that first round, Tony Martin is. So, I mean, talk about that first round with Tony Martin. I, I think Tony's a really talented guy. He, he's, uh, he comes out and he, he implements a lot of weapons and then... And, I, and one of the things I've noticed is he starts fading. I don't know if it's a conditioning thing or or if it's a fact that, you know, he thinks it's not working and, and he slowly mentally kind of gets weakened. Uh, and, and that's why he loses. Uh, he loses. But, yeah, like he was hitting me with some good shots. He was uh, he was implementing his game plan, his distance. He was doing a really, really good job. He was throwing me off I, because I had assumed originally he was going to come in and look for takedowns. So I, I, I took a beating in, in the first three minutes, and then after the first three minutes, I was, starting able, uh, I was uh, able to start connecting more. I, I wasn't able to connect with my hands, but I was able to connect more with kicks, and, and I was able to slow him down because of that. Yeah, and in the second round, you know, when you passed that guard, you immediately locked in that arm triangle. What was I mean, that was just a very beautiful transition. That was some very high-level jujitsu. Can you talk about that sequence for me? Uh, yeah, I, I took him down with the single leg. He flipped me over, but somehow I still ended up on top. I transitioned top position. I passed into half guard, and he did something that I would normally advise against. He went for a guillotine from half guard. When he went for that guillotine, and he just left the arm triangle open. So maybe he was tired and, and uh, he wasn't thinking properly, but I, I, I think it was a mistake on his part to go for that guillotine in half guard, and I, and I was able to lock in the arm triangle it made it look good yeah and benny it's absolutely a mistake to go for a guillotine from half guard but let me ask you this you know do you have a, a von flu choke in your arsenal that you use as well for that situation you know i'm familiar with the von flu choke and what i was doing to tony is actually the similar thing i i put that pressure there where he's choking so but instead of like von flu finishing it there uh the pressure i'm putting makes him let go of the guillotine choke and allows me to um go straight to the pass and, and then finish from mount or finish from, uh, yeah, from side controller mount. So it, yeah. it, I'm, I'm, I'm applying the same theory, but what happens is instead of finishing there, I, I move into side controller mount. Yeah. And as soon as you got that arm triangle, I mean, he tapped pretty much right away. Now, do you well, go ahead? That was the same thing. The Von flu choke, you know, you're choking them from uh, maybe half guard or side control. It was the same thing. I was choking him before I passed his guard. He, I could feel him, you know, choking before I got the pass. And that's why he, he, cho uh, he tapped so quickly. Okay. That makes sense. And let me ask you a little bit more about your jujitsu theory. You know, a lot of guys, they might just uh, squeeze as hard as they can, but with the really technical jujitsu guys, it's almost like a slow progression. It's like a, like a boa constrictor. Is that kind of your theory? How you just take it from zero, you know, to a hundred gradually instead of just letting it all out at once with those chokes? With the chokes? Yeah, I have to, I don't, try to squeeze as hard as I can. I, I look for um, just the right pressure where the pressure itself is choking the person. I'm not looking to squeeze my arms until my arms die out. You know, I used to do that when I was, uh, when I was a lower belt and it would, it was so frustrating. A friend of mine, Tamim Hamui, he showed me uh, this choke and how, how to implement it without squeezing your arms out till you know, they, they feel like jello. 
For sure, man. And speaking of jiu-jitsu, in your very next fight, you fought Carlos Diego Ferreira. At the time, this guy was 10-0. and 0, And, I mean, obviously, he's a jiu-jitsu world champion. You're a jiu-jitsu world champion. Now, before we talk about the jiu-jitsu champion versus jiu-jitsu champion matchup, can you tell me about your psychology going into this fight? Because he actually was coming off a KO win over Ramsey. That... That was intimidating. Uh, so, but I, at the same time, it was it was a chance for me to redeem myself. So it was there was obviously there was the intimidation factor, uh, and he had the jujitsu credentials. He had better jujitsu credentials than me because he had competed at black belt. I had never competed at black belt. So on paper, he was he was looking like he was better than me everywhere. Uh, he had knockout power, you know. He had submissions. He he had a nice takedown on uh, on uh, Colton Smith. So it it just on paper it was it was looking like a very difficult fight for me. So it, it was a great chance for me. It, it was more about redemption. So I think that's why psychology uh, my, my psychology in that fight was just find a way to win. I need this win and. Uh, uh, and another thing, I have, for that fight, I started praying a lot more, which I think helped a lot. Yeah, and obviously you're a very confident guy, but were you surprised how easily you neutralized his guard? Um, I don't know if it was easy because in the first round, uh, I only had him down for a little bit and he was attacking me a lot more. But in the second round, I felt him a little bit more tired. I, I attacked him a little bit more standing. And then when I got him to the ground, he was tired and I... And I, I I've, I've, I've trained with some of the best guys in the world in jiu-jitsu. When they're tired, they're not the same guy. So I, th- I think just knowing that, I, I, it gave me more confidence. Uh, being on top, I don't, I don't waste as much energy. So was I surprised? I, I want to say no, but at the same time, I knew he had more to give. But I, I, before that, I had taken that extra away from him. Yeah, and were his leg lock attempts, like, did they feel like, oh, man, like, this is getting close, or was it like, hey, nothing? It was at the end of the round, but it, it still felt pretty dangerous. He went for that leg lock, and and I remember falling down a little bit and then spinning through. If, if, uh, I'm pretty familiar with that leg lock. If he if I hadn't spun through quickly, he, he would either would have taken my back or maybe a calf slicer. So... He was attacking the whole time. Even on the ground, I, I would try to avoid all the omoplatas, the triangles. He's trying to arm bars. I, I was trying to be difficult, make sure the ref doesn't stand us up, and at the same time, do some damage. So there was a lot going through my mind, and uh, I, I think if I actually had cleared my mind a little bit more, I, I would have had more success on the ground. Yeah, and you know, we obviously mentioned how in your previous fights, you know, you throw that flying knee a lot. In this fight, you actually threw that leg kick very beautifully. Obviously, that was part of the game plan, right? Uh, no, it wasn't. I, I, I was expecting him to throw more head kicks, but what happened was he switched stances. He switched to southpaw. And uh, I trained with Rafael Dos Anjos. He's a southpaw. And to be honest, one of my best weapons against him is leg kicks. Uh, it doesn't work that well, but it, I don't really have much else. He kicks the crap out of me. So <laughs> I, I, I just I threw that leg kick the first time, and I remember cracking hard. And I, I remember the, I was like, okay, well, there, that was one. Let's see if he'll defend the next one. I, I threw it again, and he didn't defend it. And I realized to myself, this guy is switching stances, and it's not something he, he does normally. He doesn't, you know, maybe he switches stances, but his defense isn't as good as it would be when he's an orthodox stance. So that, that just led me to throw more kicks. Well, they were very effective. 
And, you know, obviously we talked about the kicks, but prior to that we were talking about the jiu-jitsu. And on the topic of jiu-jitsu, you've rolled many times with the UFC heavyweight champion Fabricio Vaikavala-Ware Doom. We all know this guy's a world-class black belt. Tell me what rolling with Fabricio-Ware Doom is like. Ah, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's nice. You get to roll with the, with the Abu Dhabi champion, jiu-jitsu champion, I mean... But UFC champion. UFC champion. Yeah, you know, you you could put. He's got more titles than I can count. But anyways, it, when I'm rolling jujitsu with him, it looks like I'm doing okay. But to be honest with you, every step that I take, I'm I'm exerting maybe, uh, let's say twenty percent, while he's exerting like five percent. So, <laughs> in in those five minutes, I feel like I've rolled. Uh, I've done a fifteen minute fight while he's just you know getting warmed up. So it's it's nice to see myself to be able to match him, I guess. But at the same time, I realize that I'm, I'm matching him only because I'm exerting like five, six times more than he is. I, I'm exerting a lot more. So that that it, there's a lot of components to it. I, I may look like I'm doing well, but at the end of the day, I, I'm really not. So there's always room for improvement, I guess. Yeah, and you know, obviously he's very good with his jiu-jitsu, like we mentioned. In the octagon, you know, you often see him smiling because that's how confident he is with his Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So, you know, is he a very good uh, training partner? Like, does he, you know, obviously he's a couple weight classes above you. Does he, you know, is he good with uh, not choking you out too hard? Um, he, one of the things about Fabricio is uh, he goes hard. And like I, like I said earlier, we, we simulate the fight. We don't, we don't spar, you know, in a way where it's not going to – simulate the fight we want to we want to make our sparring as close as it can be to the fight but to tell you the truth Fabricio is is is, is a team captain at our gym he's one of the captains I think Rafael dos Anjos and uh, and maybe uh, maybe a couple of other guys but uh, he's a team leader and um, he's great training partner he, he gives great advice he, he has great experience he has so much experience and and when he says something you know, he'll say it jokingly, but I, I've come to realize I, whatever he says, I, I, I need to listen to and, and understand and, and imply, uh, apply because it, it's, it's always good. For sure. And someone else that you probably listen to a lot is Rafael Dos Anjos. You know, he's the UFC lightweight champion. And both of you guys competed on the same night that he won the title. So before we talk about UFC 185, I want you to talk to me what it's like sparring with the UFC champion on a regular basis because I can only imagine what it's like. You know, it's funny. I spend more time sparring with Hoffa than anybody else, whether it be jiu-jitsu or uh, kickboxing or MMA. And uh, sparring with him, it's like this. He he goes, uh, he'll start, maybe we're doing 50%, I'm going 50%. Maybe I'll hit him with a jab. And he feels like that jab was a little bit more than 50%. He'll pick it up to 60%. He'll hit me with something, and I'll pick it up to 65, 70, 75. And I, a minute into the sparring, and, and we're trying to kill each other. And he ends up killing me every time. So that's our training every day. He, every time we train together, we'll, we'll go. We want to be, you know, tactical and smart and get it, go at it. Maybe maximum 80%, but. It just can't help ourselves. We uh, we start out at a certain number and we always hit a hundred somehow. And <laughs> and, and uh, I I just I remember one time he was training for his first fight with Donald Cerrone. I remember doing 
I think it was like six or seven rounds with him. Master Alfalfa wasn't around, and uh, I told him, "Hey, you want to meet up Saturday, do some sparring?" Uh, I think Master Alfalfa was in Brazil cornering one of our guys, and he said, "Yeah." So we ended up doing I think seven rounds of sparring, and then after the uh, after the sparring, I was like, "Dude, get away from me! <laughs> I don't want to see you for a few days." So, it, you know, I, I I think that's what makes our team special too. We we train so hard, but at the same time. And we beat each other pretty bad, but at the same time, after the training, it, it's all love. There's no, there's no animosity. We don't have any kind of issues. Uh, we're family. And it must give you a lot of confidence knowing what you can do against the UFC lightweight champion, huh? Eh, because I don't get to do much. You know, if if we're doing maybe specific training, maybe I have his back or something, or I have side control or or he's only allowed to use one hand, then, yeah, I feel pretty confident. But overall, he, he's he's on a different level. The, the, uh, and I understand that, and I know I need to work hard to, to get there. So it's pretty cool having Hoffa. Yeah, and obviously his fighting skills are on another level, but can you talk to me about the change in this guy's mindset? Because there was a point where, you know, he was just another run-of-the-mill fighter, but then, you know, something changed, man, and he's... You know, he's looking better than ever physically, mentally, and now he's the champion. So do you know what happened that changed his mindset? Yeah, he went a – I don't know if it was mindset so much, but he went from living in Brazil and training with uh, basically all jiu-jitsu guys and, and, and guys who, who did it for a hobby, who were who did striking for a hobby or did jiu-jitsu for a hobby. He, he was training with hobbyists. He was training with blue belts for most of his fights in the UFC – which is crazy if you think about it. He was training with uh, regular guys, not no professionals, and he was he was still doing well. He was still uh, he was doing decent in the in the UFC. What changed was when he came to America. He started figuring out the diet more. He he got better conditioning coaches. He, he met Master Rafael, which I think has been the biggest the biggest thing for him. The the biggest blessing for him because Master him and Master Rafael have a very good connection, and uh, I I've been watching his striking just evolve since he got there. I remember when he first got there, you know, we would spar with each other, and I felt like our our sparring was closer back then. Now he beats me worse than he did back then, and and I feel like I've improved dramatically, and and somehow he's improved even more. So. It's frustrating, but at the same time, I'm grateful for it because it gives me something to work towards. For sure, and you know, the only way to get better is to train with guys that are better than you. So that is awesome, man. And you guys fought on the same night, like I mentioned, UFC 185. You take on Darren Crookshank. This guy, you know, he's known for his striking, and you did something very interesting in that fight. You know, you actually mentioned it in post-fight interviews how you'd kick him and he wouldn't respond. That's something that. Uh, Master Hoffa noticed in the film. Can you talk to me about that? How you'd kick him in the body or the leg, and he wouldn't throw anything back? Yeah, we watched it. Uh, it was his fight with uh, Masvold, uh, Jorge Masvold, and Master said uh, Masvold would throw a switch kick, and uh, he wouldn't really respond to it with any kind of strikes. He just kind of back away, and uh, Masvold would throw a left kick, switch kick. I'm a I'm a southpaw, and my left is uh, it's 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 always ready. It, it, so. We just thought to ourselves that, that that might be something that's going to work. We, we had it as an option. And I threw it. It worked the first time. It worked the second time. It was third time. So after the first uh, first two tries, I knew it was uh, it was something I could just keep going back to. And, and then even when I went back to my, my corner, Master was really happy about it. And he just kind of told me to keep doing what I'm doing. 
Yeah, what's going through your head when you kick a guy in the body or the leg and he doesn't respond? Are you just like, yes, like <laughs> jackpot? It's uh, a little bit more calm than that just because I don't want to get too excited because, you know, he might uh, crack me in the head with something else. But it, it, it's it's like this. You, 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 you do something and uh, you're looking for a reaction. And based on that reaction, you're going to make your next move. And knowing that there was no reaction – my next move was to just repeat it because that's 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 what success is. You know, you're able to gain something without losing anything. That's success, and we were able to do that with the left body kick. Yeah, and and the way you took his back, that was beautiful. But we've talked about your jujitsu enough. But I mean, that was great. And then you were so confident that your buddy Rafael was going to defeat Pettis, and at the time, you know. I was looking at Pettis like, this is the next John Jones, this is the next Jose Aldo, this is the next guy that's going to take the sport to the next level. And we were like, all right, if Dos Anjos wins, you know, maybe he'll lay on him or something. Dos Anjos goes out there, and not only does he beat Pettis, he beats him standing, he beats him on the ground, and he ate a Pettis head kick to the chin and just kept walking forward. So, I mean, just tell me how you knew he was going to win that fight, how you were so confident, like, because that was incredible. You know... Hoffa's pressure is something uh, that can't I, I can't explain it. He puts so much pressure on you, you're not able to use all your weapons. And I and I knew that was going to happen with Pettis. I know he, Pettis has a lot of great weapons, but when you're put under that much uh, pressure, you you you're not able to implant uh, implement everything. So that's that's what I was expecting to happen, and that's what happened. And and the I watched the same thing happen against him and. Uh, ben Henderson. I, you know, when I fought uh, Tony Martin, Hoffa fought Ben Henderson. So that was the second time we fought on the same card, and we had great results both times. So it was just I, I, I knew that was going to happen. Hoffa was going to cut this guy, you know, cut this guy's weapons away. That was what I expected, and that's exactly what happened. To be honest, I thought it was going to be a knockout in the second round, but uh, I got to give Pettis to some respect because he he took a lot of shots and he, he still fought and he stayed in there. You're obviously very good with your predictions, so why don't you tell me what's going to happen between Rafael Dos Anjos and Cowboy Cerrone? Uh, I, I think it's going to be a knockout. Maybe first round or first round or second round. I think it's going to be a knockout. I, I don't think if Donald is expecting the same guy they fought maybe back in uh, I think it was 2014 or uh, when they fought. If he's expecting that guy, he's got another thing coming, man. Hafa is. Is, is becoming a very scary dude. His pressure is, is – I can't explain his pressure. It, it's it, – it feels like drowning. Yeah, and we were watching that Pettis fight, and like we felt like we were drowning. We were like, oh, my God, he is really doing this. So then you get the call. You know, after you fight Darren Crookshank, you get the call on short notice. And you step up and fight Jim Miller, you know. This is a guy who's known for his Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know. He, he snatches chokes out of nowhere. He takes people's backs out of nowhere. Everyone knows who Jim Miller is. So not only do you take it on short notice, you go in there, and it almost looked like he might have caught you a little bit with a little triangle armbar sequence. You did get out of it. But just tell me about that little moment when he had something there. Jim Miller... I, he fought my friend uh, Fabricio Carmoose and he submitted him and I, I thought it was like a fluke or something. So when I went out there, I, he got me in these positions and, I, and it, right there it clicked in my mind, man, that was no fluke. This guy is good. So I need to get it get it together. And uh, 
I was able to escape the triangle, and then boom again. He went for that guillotine. He got me in a guillotine in the second round, and, and uh, thank God I got out of that. But he was he was better than I expected everywhere. I, I really thought I was going to be able to dominate the wrestling. I was going to be able to dominate the jiu-jitsu, and it wasn't like that. Every position I had to fight for, and I had to fight for really hard. I, I remember trying to pass his guard and thinking to myself, wow, what is going on? Why am I having such a hard time? Just, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be this big jiu-jitsu guy, and, and, and Jim Miller kind of, you know, brought me down a peg, made me realize my jiu-jitsu is not as good as I thought, and then I, it made me realize that his jiu-jitsu was a lot better than I thought. Well, that's cool that you're really humble about it, because from my perspective, you out jiu Jim Miller, and one doesn't simply out jiu Jim Miller. So I want to talk about that third round. You know, you had his back, and he kind of did a little spike, and I... It looked like he landed on his own head. Did he actually? Did you land on your head? What, what was that whole sequence like? Uh, I think we, uh, the third round, we both hit our each other's head. From what I saw, I, I, I looked at him. I looked from the side. I, I felt like he was a little dizzy, but the fight was over. I, I, if we had maybe thirty more seconds, maybe I would have got the choke because he kind of hit himself and he was a little dizzy. But I was a little dizzy too. So um, I, I guess it worked a little bit. I don't know. That move was it was a little strange to me. I, uh, I I think it was a little bit out of desperation, but I can't blame the guy. I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah, you said you felt flat in that fight, you know, because you took it on short notice. But then you fight Michael Johnson, not so you know, not so later after. So I mean, did you really feel that flat out there, or what, man? Against uh, uh, against Johnson or against the uh... Jim. Jim. Against him, I did feel flat. I, I, I didn't feel very good with my striking, and uh, I, I just focused a little bit more on my grappling. So um, I, I can't explain it. I just felt uh, a little bit more, uh, I guess flat is the best way to slay it. I, I just didn't have that pop. I didn't feel fast. I didn't feel fast with my jab. I didn't feel fast with my shots. I focused more on clinching on clinching and wearing him down than using uh, using more of a speed uh, speed tactic uh, speed tactics you know for sure so you know obviously Jim Miller he's perennial top 15 you go out there you get the victory and then you get the call to fight the number five guy on the planet this is Michael Johnson this is a guy who you know he destroyed Edson Barboza standing for three straight rounds and one doesn't simply beat Edson Barboza standing for three straight rounds now obviously you got a lot of flack for this fight and I'm in the minority. I'm actually one of the only people who thought you won that fight. And I'll tell you why. You're using a very nice jab. That knee was very nice. And it almost seemed to me like, you know, like he was kind of throwing punches at air. You know, in that first round, I don't really consider that a knockdown. A lot of people do. But up until that point, you were controlling the entire first round. So, I mean, what was going through your head, you know, when you were popping him with that jab and that knee and he was basically throwing at air? Um, I... The fight with Johnson was a tough fight. You know, I, I think he won the first round. Uh, like you said, I felt like I was controlling the first round. But with, with that knockdown, uh, and I do consider it a knockdown because he hit me pretty hard. Whether I stumbled uh, over my feet, and, you know, my base wasn't right, or whether he just rocked me. I, I went down, I got back up, and uh, he, he, he was putting a lot of pressure on, on me after that. So he finished the last minute of the, uh, of the round really well. He finished strong. So he he gets the first round. Second round, it, w- it was much closer. 
he landed uh, more body shots, but I landed more head shots. I, I landed the, and I think as far as body shots or leg shots go, I, I landed the more uh, clear stuff with the leg kicks and the and, and the flying knees and uh, and the head shots. I think again, I had the more clear shots with the with the jab. So I think that's how I won the second round. And then the third round was just. I think I outworked him. He was tired, and I and I felt it, and I was able to hit him a lot more than he was able to hit me. I was able to abort most of his big punches and uh, capitalize it on on his misses when he would miss. And like you said, he, he threw a lot of punches, but a lot of them did hit air. For sure they did. And, you know, you talk about how he pressured you in that first round. How did that pressure in that first round with Michael Johnson feel compared to Rafael Dos Anjos' pressure? Ah, it's not the same. Um uh, Hafa is better at cutting off the cage, uh, better at uh, making you feel if the punch hits you, you're you're gonna you're going you're gonna go down. Um, with Michael Johnson, I didn't feel like he was cutting off the cage as much, and uh, I didn't feel his punches were as dangerous from every angle. I felt his straight punches were really dangerous. I didn't feel so so threatened with his hooks. I, I felt I felt like I can avoid his hooks better, and. Um, but he does have a really good left cross, and I think that that was the difference. I think uh, Hoffa is really is much more proficient at cutting off the cage and, and much more proficient with all his other punches. Yeah, man, and obviously we got to give you credit for the work you did in the octagon, but do you think that there's a chance he underestimated you at all? And the reason I'm asking you, Benny, is because, you know, in the third round of the Edson Barbosa fight, he wasn't gassed there. He was gassed against you. So is that just credit to what you did, or do you think he underestimated you? I don't know. That's a good question. That's something uh, you would have to ask Michael Johnson. But I, I just think uh, against Edson Barbosa, because he did so much damage against Edson, maybe in the third round, uh, he wasn't as tired. You know, in the first round, he beat up Edson. In the second round, he beat up Edson. So Edson was tired come third round. He wasn't able to, uh, you know, he wasn't able to do do much. And uh, Michael Johnson was kind of able to just ride the momentum he had from first and second round. And I think against me, he didn't have that same momentum, and I was able to I was able to fight him every round. So, I, I think that was the difference. So, two more questions about that fight. Firstly, if that was a five round fight, do you think you would have finished him? I think so. I, I, I think in the fourth round, I, I would have been able to get the takedown or, or, or just start uh, landing more jabs. And then once once I would land more jabs, I think I was starting to feel more uh, more comfortable, throw bigger punches, more crosses. And, and more kicks, but who knows? Uh, maybe he would have landed one big punch and, and finished the fight. I, I don't like to overthink these things, but the fight's over. I have the W, and uh, I'm just happy with that. For sure. And a couple of more questions about that fight. So, you know, you did get all your takedown stuff. Now, with a lot of guys, when they get their takedown stuff, they break. With you, it's like, all right, I guess I got to do plan B. And you know, plan B worked fine. What was it like just transitioning, you know, going back to the jab and that big knee, you know, because the takedowns weren't working? I don't know if I had a plan A or plan B, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I I just like to implement all of uh, MMA when I fight, uh, takedowns and ground game. So I, I, I focused uh, – when I when one thing wasn't working, I just went back to my jab. I, I think if you, if you set a really – strong game plan and it breaks it kind of breaks you so i, I like to be well-rounded i was like okay the takedown's not working i'll go back to what i was doing i'll go back to the stand-up I, I don't 
like to go into the fight fearing someone's weapons. Uh, I just like to think about my own weapons, and I think that was pretty much it. I was implementing the weapons that worked, and I had to figure out what didn't work and stop doing it. At the end of that fight, did you think you won the fight? Uh, because of the crowd, and uh, you know, uh, the crowd was booing me the whole time, so... I, I, I didn't know what to think. I, I knew it was going to be close. So when they called it a split decision, I, I, I just knew whichever way it went, I would, I, you know, if, if Michael Johnson won the fight, I would understand. If I won the fight, I, I would understand. I would be happy with it. But just be, based on the crowd, I was getting booed a lot out there. So I thought he was going to get the decision. That was That's basically what I had. And what did Master Hoffa say to you right after the fight in the octagon and then in the dressing room? In the octagon, he said we we spoke about it. I said, "Mass, I think it can go either way." He kind of agreed with me after, and then after the fight, you know, uh, we were getting a lot of slack, like you said. So he said, "You know, we'll just go watch the fight." And we went back. We watched the fight. We uh, and then just the commentating uh, seemed a little bit more biased towards him. So we watched it a few times. We tr- we took the we took the volume off and. Yeah, I started feeling like the fight was uh, was exactly what it was. It was a really close fight, and I, and I thought I eked out a decision. That's that's that, that's all I thought. And uh, if someone wants to think I lost, that's fine. I, I get it. It's a close fight. But, you know, I walked away from that fight. I didn't have any serious injuries. I didn't have any big bumps or anything. So I, I, I didn't really care. I, I got back to the gym, and I'm looking forward to the next fight. So, you know, I was at your UFC debut, and I was actually at your last fight, in Nashville, like I mentioned earlier on the show, and I was sitting next to what I thought was your family, you know, they're holding up that flag, and man, when you won that fight, dude, they went crazy, and it was funny, it was like almost a riot happened at the Bridgestone Arena, because, you know, half the crowd, they thought that Johnson won, and then your family, or your friends, or your fans, they're all there, so passionate, and I was like, man, there's about to be a brawl in here, and it was, it was awesome, man, luckily, you know, no one fought, everyone ended up getting along, and you got the victory, and then the very next day, you go to Haiti, so I gotta know, Benny, what's next for Benil Dariush? Um... Uh, officially, I can't announce anything, but uh, something's coming soon. They've uh, they, they've started uh, they've we've started negotiations for the next fight, which I'm looking forward to. But as far as uh, my uh, Assyrian fr- uh, family and friends or uh, and fans, man, Assyrian people are like this. Uh, uh, whether we know each other, don't know each other, as soon as we meet each other, we're like family. So when it when it comes to stuff like the UFC, they go crazy, man. So just knowing that there's another Syrian guy fighting there, let's put it this way: if they could, they would step in there and fight next to me. That, that that's the easiest way to explain it. They're they're crazy like that. We're crazy like that. <laughs> yeah, man. And you know they treated me like family because they knew I was rooting for you. So that was really awesome, man. They're great people, and obviously, you know, I commend you for what you did in Haiti. And I want to wish you the best of luck. In your upcoming fight, man, you know, after that gets announced and, you know, after you get the victory, we'd love to have you come back on Half the Battle anytime, Benny. No problem. Thanks for having me. It was a really pleasure. Yeah, man, absolutely. You know, just go ahead, thank anyone anyone you want to thank, plug anything you want to plug. The floor is yours, my friend. Uh, thanks, man. You know, uh, family and friends, I uh, always appreciate their support. Uh, I, I always give the glory to God. I'm, I'm not interested in that. And, uh, I'm I'm just grateful for my platform. For sure. 
You guys heard it here first. You know, all the fans that listen to this, I want to thank you guys so much. And, you know, for everyone else, you can subscribe to Half the Battle on SoundCloud.com slash Best Fight Picks. You can find me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. You go to BestFightPicks.com, type your email in that top right corner, and I'll send you the Best Fight Picks and podcast to your inbox every single fight week. And obviously, you go to YouTube, find that Best Fight Picks channel, and all the Half the Battle episodes are there. So go ahead and enjoy it. Benny, best of luck in your next fight, and we'll catch up with you soon, buddy. Thanks, man. Take care.